Since the pandemic began, kids didn't have much to do at home within the constraints of their house. Many parents resorted to screen time as a source of respite, and so did I. But oh, the mom guilt that ate me up. I felt so bad for doing that to them. Being a working mom with tons of chores, a podcast to run, a website, and multiple courses, I hardly found the time to engage with them. But then I found a way to save myself from that guilt trip and guess what? I'm going to share it with you. A way that makes my kids media interactions productive and fun. Okay, play app. And before we begin, let me tell you it's absolutely non-sponsored. The owners aren't paying me anything for this. Coming to this app, most kids' uh, educational apps are built in such a way that they keep the kids on the screen, making it fun and shimmery with all the sound effects and boy do they succeed. Okay Play was this one app that encouraged the child to leave the phone and play. I loved it, but I was intrigued, so I contacted the developers of this game and guess what? They gladly came on our show and spoke oodles about how they built this app. Another amazing thing was one of the co-founders of this app is a psychologist and a mother. So you can imagine a kids app built by a doctor. Without wasting much time, let's take a look at what they had to say. The most evergreen cause of mom guilt is giving screens to kids, knowing how bad it is for them. But the times have changed and the pandemic has assured in an era of overuse of technology that we couldn't control. Either online schooling, relaxing, connecting with friends, family and more. Some or the other way we are having screens in our house. Now, the constant tussle is between a guilty conscience and getting kids to shut up and stay quiet with screens in their hands. So let's save you a guilt trip by making screen time interactive and creative for your child. And for this, we have two guests from different parts of the world, that is Toronto and Los Angeles, joining me here in India. Our first guest is a leading child development psychologist and kids media expert, a best-selling author, the chief scientist and co-founder at OK Play Children's App. That's Dr. Colleen Russo. And our second guest is a play engineer, a game designer. Prior to that, our guest has uh, led an interactive studio at Snapscopely and Activision, where he's worked as a designer for Guitar Hero. He also served as the director of interactives for JJ Abrams, that's director of Star Trek, Star Wars, and Mission Impossible. Most importantly, he's a father of two. I like how having parents on my show. That's Travis Chen. Hi, Dr. Colleen, and how are you doing, Travis? Hello, so great to be here. Hi, thanks for having us. So before we get digging into the questions, uh, I'd like to ask now, what does good screen time look like? Uh, I don't believe I'm asking this question, but after a year of the pandemic uh, and the use of technology in our houses, all of that has definitely increased. So let's make the screen time that we already have to give our kids into good screen time. What does it look like? Yeah, you know, this is a question I have been researching my entire career. You know, I, I got my PhD in child development because I was fascinated about screens. And, you know, it was clear they weren't going anywhere. So I thought, how can we not, you know, let's make the most of it. Like, let's, let's make it as quality time as possible, knowing that children are going to use them, especially, you know, when I think about this whole idea of using screens, it, it also comes from a, 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 oftentimes a privileged position because a lot of parents don't have the choice to not use them, right? They might be working many jobs, especially during this pandemic, perhaps, you know, they're home, so their kids can be home, but they have to be working. And so, uh, you know, I, I think it's, I feel the responsibility as both a researcher and now someone who's also on the, on the creative side, on the content creation side, to create, um, you know, apps and experiences for kids on the screens that I can feel truly good about as both a researcher and a mom, 
right? So to me, there's a couple things to really think about. Um, one is the content. You know, if it is a passive show, um, is it something that the kids really um, engage in that's age appropriate and a topic they're excited about? Because the truth is, you know, kids can learn. And we're talking to you know, kids, you know, th- you know, definitely age two and up. You know, once they're under two, they're not going to really take away much from the screen. It's, it's a bit more of a babysitter than the first year at that point. Um, but, you know, from age you know, three up, there's a lot they can g- gain from it if it's well-made. The second part is uh, the parent engagement aspect. You know, it's not rocket science, but the idea is if you can put a parent or someone else with an adult with them to co-view or co-play content, their learning explodes. It goes through the the roof. It shows in study after study after study. Um, And you can do this in ways you don't have to be even sitting with them the whole time. If you're in the other room doing dishes or folding laundry, it's a matter of just engaging with them and checking in and asking questions like you would when you're reading a book. And the third part is lean into the interactive experiences. And that's really what we do at OK Play. Um, Get kids involved um, in more than just a lean back passive viewing experience. Get them to lean in and be engaged and part of the experience. And um, lean into this idea of kids love to create and make. And so, you know, Travis, maybe you want to speak to the creation part a little bit. Yeah, I think for me as a play designer, um, some of the times I've seen the healthiest screen time is when the play starts to bleed off the screen. Um, So examples of that are um, creativity moments when the child actually kind of goes to their head and starts thinking, starts imagining what they want to create. Um, Other examples of that are when we encourage physical play off the device, but using the device as a starting point. An example of that is having the kid go on a scavenger hunt throughout Mm -hmm. their house. So the digital device goes, find something around your house that makes you happy, find something that you love. But everything that happens after that point is that mission in the real world that is so intriguing. And I think that's really for me as a a play designer, the power of digital is to encourage that kind of real world play, that real world interaction, um, that real world conversation um, another thing we do a lot is is ask the child to go ask the parent a question or have a conversation with the, the parent. Um, and those are those things that are so rich that 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 would not have happened necessarily without that that guidance um, via play. Um, general rule of thumb from a design standpoint is design around things that kids have naturally done and and will continue to do forever. So things like, dress up time, um, the things that they do in the playground in the sandbox, building, creating with each other, um, dancing, singing. These are the, the types of experiences that we think digital can encourage that that just, are, just come so naturally to the kid. Unlike, for example, just tapping and dragging or passively watching on the screen. And so when we think about design, we try to lean on some of those things that kids have done for generations as design for play um, uh, and, and try to go beyond just the tap and the drag, if that makes sense. Exactly. Uh, I mean, like you rightly pointed out, having um, a game or say an app that is based on the child's natural tendencies like storytelling. Now, I could I'd like to add a personal anecdote here. Um, Now, my toddlers, when they sleep every night just before bedtime, we have this pillow talk session where they combine and jumble up all of their day's events and they mix up and make some really nice stories. It's about ghosts coming in and them acting as superheroes and they're finding out things. And I don't know where they have got all of this. But then for now, this pillow talk has become an everyday routine for us. And I can see how the app is using this basic tendency of storytelling that kids like and how you guys have incorporated in it. And I'm sure it's going to make the app really interactive. Absolutely. And I think, you know, you obviously, you know, know children very well (laughs) from your professional career, right? And that bleeds into your personal life as a mother. The truth is, not everyone is a developmental expert, nor should they be. And so a lot of what we wanted to do is help give parents the tools to initiate these types of experiences. So for example, um, we have these series of what we call sparks, and they're really quite simple. They're short videos 
that have pauses for questions. And we give the parents the question because A, they either don't know how to come up with them themselves because again, that's not their job, you know? <laughs> and that's not what they've trained in all their years. And then B, even mm-hmm. for someone like me, at the end of the day, I can be so tired that I appreciate having the questions done for me so I can still engage with my kids without having to use too much brain power because there's not much left at the end. Um, and so, so, you know, what's really great is like last night, my son asked to do, um, okay, play. And I was like, oh, I don't want to, I was just, you know, getting him down, calming down. I didn't really want to do anything too interactive. And I was like, oh, I'll pull out good night hike, which is one of our sparks. And what happens in good night hike, it takes you through the highs and the lows of the day and what you're looking for the next day. And he's two. So I was very curious. I hadn't done this with him in a few weeks. I was curious what he would respond to them. And it's like, what made you sad today? What made you not so happy? And it was a fight he got in with his sister, you know, that he called it back from early to earlier hours earlier, we were able to talk about that and that feeling of sadness and what could have happened differently, et cetera. It really gave us a chance to reflect on that. You know, when he's in a calm state, that was really nice and helpful. And like what had made him happy today. And he was saying, you know, this moment now cuddling and reading books with mommy made him really happy. And I'm like, oh, oh my, my heart. God. And then when it's like, what are you excited for tomorrow? And he's like, I can't wait for my time with daddy in the morning. When he wakes me up in the morning, we have our apple juice and our snuggles. It was just so sweet. And and a conversation that like, you know, this app really helped me facilitate having. A perfect bedtime routine. So also, you know, uh, I found that um, aimed at giving the parents, uh, basically empowering the parents so that they can take ahead the child led play initiative. When we talk of child development, especially in the preschool age group, uh, child led activities is what we try to encourage the most. But then in our uh, life nowadays, which is like so fast, and thanks to the pandemic and work being transferred at home, we're actually left with no time, everything has to be done fast, lunch, meals, bath time, everything has to be quick because parents are so overloaded. So there's absolutely no time for child-led activities. And I guess this is going to help parents there. So um, how can screens help teach curiosity, kindness, empathy, and life lessons? Now, last I checked, it was the job of parents to do this, but let's take a look. Well, you know, and that's just it. Like it's the job of parents but what have we done to help parents? How are we supporting parents in doing this? You know, and there's wonderful books written on these topics, but when do parents have time to read these books? It's in fact, you know, Dr. Rahat, why I love your podcast and love podcasts in general, because this is something that parents can listen to and get wonderful tidbits as they're doing the dishes, as they're walking their dogs, as they're doing all sorts of things, right? Um, But I just think we've really thrown parents into this without giving them much support and help. And so what I aim to do with this app from my perspective of, um, you know, the science side is I thought, how can we do two things at once here? How can we encourage parents to play with their kids more? And how can the same time we encourage, uh, we can teach parents these skills. And so it's kind of insidious here because what we're trying to do is, you know, as the parent, and and there's lots of things the parent, the child can do alone as well, but we have a lot of co-play things in the app as well that the parent can do. And we want to make sure the parent always feels invited into the play and that they can be part of it if they want to, because a lot of apps are more isolating. So as the parents playing with their kid, whether they realize it or not, they're getting skills to do off the app. They're learning parenting techniques. You know, there's this example of um, the angry parade uh, activity where, you know, I did this with my, my daughter maybe like five times in the app where she's it's getting her to stomp out her anger and sing it out and all these things. And, you know, and then it really can help curb a t- temper tantrum. And then after a few times, I realized I don't need the app to do this anymore. I can do this on my own. And that to me is a dream scenario where we've taught a parent a skill that they have in their toolbox where they don't even have to rely on the app. So I think, you know, as much as we're not saying we want this app to replace parents, we want this to be a parent tool. Um, And also for the kid to have a way to help. um, It's a a kid toolkit, right? So the kid knows that they can go to certain activities to maybe help them calm down. We even have these breathing exercises where they can breathe into the app and they see things happening, like blowing up a balloon and it releases, right? Um, So we just, we want to be a a, a tool for both parents and, and kids, not replace anything. I'll, I'll just add that. Yeah, Travis. Oh, so I, I was just going to add that, like coming up with play for kids is is hard. It's it's difficult for parents. My my perspective. I'm I'm a play designer. This is my career, and I have an hour with my kid, and it's difficult to, for me to come up with something to do with them. <laughs> um, and that's for someone who's built 
10 plus years on designing play for children. Um, and so um, uh, I think what we hope to give is parents um, tools and ideas to be able to facilitate that play at, at home. I think about how much effort goes into, for example, a preschool teacher, our preschool teacher, thinking about what they are going to play tomorrow. And that's not trivial. It's a lot of work that they put into coming up with that curriculum for the next day, coming up with those play sessions for the next day. Um, and there's an expectation that the parent does that as well. Um, and so I, th I think what we hope to do is just is just be that kind of tool to allow them to have some idea of what to do tomorrow and the next day um, in regards to how they play with their children or how their children play with them. Exactly. What uh, the pandemic did was it just, uh, you know, showed the parents one side that how, you know, we've had schools when there was physical schools, the children used to be away for, say, four hours, six hours. And then they were the headache of the teachers. Now we had nothing to do with all we had at our hands was free time. But then now when everything's work from home and kids are doing just online schools, now is when we realize how difficult it is to keep the child engaged and forget creatively, just engage, like just give me five minutes, go and sit there. No, they need something, either creative, non-creative, but they have to be engaged in something. And it's so difficult. So, you know, you could try blocks or you could try role players, so many things that are age appropriate for them, but they, they need the parent to be there to either be a part of them or do some child-led activity, but then your presence is required. So that, you know, this conversation is sounding so much like as if we're pro screen time. In fact, I just did an episode on how the ba how bad screen time was and how it could lead to non-Alzheimer's dementia in kids and uh, other kids who watch screens continuously for a very long period of time. Uh, so Dr. Colleen, would you like to add something on how we're not trying to promote uh, long periods of screen time and what would you advise on the usage of okay play? You know, that's such a great question. And if, for example, Travis mentioned in the beginning, like we want to see like, you know, what makes uh, one of the things that makes okay play uh, so unique is that it really does bridge digital and real play. Um, and so we, every single activity, uh, my team writes prompts for parents um, that's talking about the educational benefits. Um, we can get in our curriculum later. Uh, and it's talking about uh, ways to enhance the play on the device and ways to extend the play off the device. I like my ideal scenario for okay play is you spend some time playing it. Um, you know, the kids, uh, parent maybe starts it with the kid. Um, the kid keeps playing, the parent gets some laundry done or whatever they need to get some work done, whatever they need to do. They're checking in with their kid as they play it. The kid comes when they need help recording something maybe, or, or, uh, has a question. Um, and then after they do this game, they read the extended play prompt and they set, they do the extension, they get off the device. Like we actually encourage kids to extend that play, come back and play us later. But we want this to be a launch pad for play, but that's, you know, when the parent can be involved, great, but we want to see kids playing more off the device. And we really see, okay, play being that bridging app where it's not so hard to put it down because you're already engaging with the real world in some way. Like we have this movie maker where you get dressed up and you get put on an outfit and it's showing your before and after. So in that time, you're playing with an app, I suppose. Right. But really the length, the most of the time you're doing is spent doing the dress up part of it. You know, so it's, it's kind of, um, it gives that excitement of screen time. And it also, while still doing lots of off device play, but it's also then show, um, empowering the child to be the content creator. Cause they now have this really cool movie of their before and after dress up show. Right. And I think if we look into the future of the workforce, like it is having these skills and being, uh, creators and we see kids doing it naturally on their own. And I think it's to not lean into that desire and that creativity um, is a mistake because if we look in the future, a lot of the jobs will be, you know, this whole idea of a lot of the jobs in the future aren't created yet. Like creativity is an extremely important skill for kids to have. Uh, but to get more to the science of this, you know, um, this whole app is built on best practices from science. This this team was so supportive of me wanting to come in, you know, to, to have a scientist to a to have a chief scientist is is very rare in, an, in a kid's app, and b to make that chief scientist a, a founder of the app shows how much this team wanted science to be leading um, the app, and I think it really shows. Like for example, in Common Sense Media, uh, 
which is a, you know, a top place for ratings. We have a five-star rating. There's not many that have five out of five stars. And that's because we really lead with the science. Um, and, you know, there's so much research showing the power of, as I mentioned before, co-play. Um, and so we've encouraged, we've, we've, you know, embedded that into our app where it's really a natural part where the parent feels like they have an important part to play here. Um, another part is I've done a lot of research on how, how interactive apps should be and what types of interaction are good because it's the natural instinct of play designers like my lovely friend and colleague, Travis, to say, hey, we can make this sparkle. We could do this, let's do it. And then, you know, but they don't think about the, the effects, right? What does that actually do for a preschooler? If everything they can touch can sparkle a move, you're distracting from the play that they're supposed to doing. If there is a, if there is an educational goal, which with these things there are, right? So, you know, when this came up one time, I came to Travis and I said, hey, like, here's what the science says. Do you think we could not do these things? And it was really, I mean, Travis, you could speak to this. It was a, it was a back and forth because Travis was so excited about having these things sparkle and move and, you know, animate, but that's where he said, okay, like, you know, we really do want this this app to be led by science and best practices. And if this is going to distract from the educational benefits, um, you know, that's where we, we kind of made a, 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 you know, compromise. I don't know, Travis, you want to speak to that at all? Yeah, I mean, I think I think one of the things that, um, you know, we should do, but also others in, in children's media, particularly children's media that aims to, to help kids and grow kids, is to bring in those opinions up front and not on the tail end. And so I think one of the things we've been so fortunate with is, is having those conversations early. Um, so rather than once something's done going, hey, Colleen, is this good or not good? Um, we have those conversations at the beginning of creating an experience, in the beginning of creating a story. Um, and that conversation bleeds into every subsequent conversation that will ever happen from character design, thinking about inclusivity um, to the stories that we're telling and the impact of those stories um, on the child to the types of play that we're, we're, um, we're encouraging. Um, and so if you can kind of bring that collaboration in upfront, you can kind of see its roots grow into the entire experience rather than I think what often happens, which is either nothing or, or sort of an approval. Um, and, and that's been, I think, really powerful for us. And that, that, that's what collaboration looks like. Um, that, that, and, and that's the, the ripest form of collaboration when it's truly done in the beginning and throughout the entire process. And on the flip side, there's plenty of times where, you know, because it it's a beautiful uh, collaboration from the start, as I said, so it's, it's, it's really woven together. Sometimes what happens with uh, TV shows, for example, is the educational consultant is brought in way late in the game and you're trying to push an educational message into something that's already been creative. Whereas everything we do, the science and the learning is woven into the creative from the start. But at the end of the day, I go by, you know, 90% of the time I say uh, creative wins, creative trumps, because if a kid's not engaged and excited about what they're doing, the educational lesson is meaningless anyways. And I think that is what makes OK Play also really stand out because it's so fun for kids to do. They are engaged. They want to do it. Um, and so I think uh, you know, that's a, a just a big plus of the creative team. And then just speak quickly to uh, one more thing about science is another study I did was looking at TV shows versus apps. And we looked at a social emotional uh, uh, TV show, Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood. And we this is years ago I did this, but um, looked at the TV show versus uh, the interactive app and learning emotions and whatnot. And we found that it was the app that moved the needle when it came to social emotional learning. And so that was another big inspiration for uh, the way we approached this app was thinking, okay, there's a lot more we can do in an interactive format and a lot more learning gains we can have compared to a passive TV show. Exactly. Social and emotional learning sound like uh, such terms you know, that you just find huge research articles and big heavy books. But then when you have to actually uh, use those points, when you have to actually teach your kids something about it, it's all about the everyday experiences. And, you know, like if you want to make your help a child develop social skills, you have to have you have to have schools or you have to have outdoor play, help them engage with their peers. That's when they're going to learn all that. But then times have changed now. We can't step out. There's always a danger of 
COVID. So I guess this is the best time to help your child engage in something that's interactive. Uh, another thing now as a parent, informed, educated parent, what I used to feel is that, you know, uh, now there are many, many educational apps out there and videos on YouTube uh, where they're teaching ch children concepts which have been built and constructed in such a way that's really easy to understand for little kids. So what most parents feel is that, OK, what is happening here is good screen time. What my child is doing is it's an educational video. It's an educational app. But according to science, where, uh, like I spoke of in one of my episodes on digital dementia, uh, the content that you're giving to your child has to be interactive. This one line is so important. Uh, for example, if your child is just sitting with a phone in his hand and there's some video, amazingly educational video, which has been broken down into simpler language and amazing animation, that's going to help him grasp the concept in, say, five minutes. But then what the child is doing is he's glued to the screens. What's happening is the front, br front brain is overstimulated and the back brain is understimulated. And this sensory mismatch, what it does is it causes digital dementia. That's slight, slow degeneration of the brain. It's a non-Alzheimer's. Now, whenever I say dementia, Alzheimer's, you might just imagine an old man, you know, who's unable to button his shirts and, you know, he can't eat food with a spoon without spilling it off. But then that's what your child might be getting if your child is glued to screens for hours without any interaction, without any uh, movement and with a slouched posture. Remember how we work on our screens, always with a cramped neck, uh, shoulders slouched and the phone in our hands, what we call the tech neck syndrome. So we see our kids doing that, but then what we feel, okay, no, no, he's engaged in something uh, educational. That's, that's a red flag sign. And that's where good screen time needs to be looked into, that it has to be interactive and for a short span of time. So say uh, if you're giving your child screen times for 20 minutes at a stretch, there has to be a break of two to three minutes. So what your app is doing is it's making it interactive, making the child go and ask questions, click photos of things or go and dress up and something. So that exactly check the right boxes when it has to make uh, make it interactive, cutting down on the complete continuous stretch of screen time. That's what I love the most about it. Now, Same. Yeah, absolutely. Is, you know, I, and I think that parents as they come out of COVID, I think we've had to have a lot of like, you know, give um, this past year. But I think as things start to go back, you know, I think it's a lot of parents are saying like, how do I now stop these habits that I've developed over the past year? You know, exactly. it, it's tricky. And, you know, I recently went through this because we had to uh, do a move for two months just recently, actually. And then while we were there for those two months, it was so kind of stressful with a new move, a move with a two and three-year-old and whatnot. We kind of gave in to screen time rules and habits in general. I mean, even how much and apple juice, apple juice is their, their coffee. It's bad. Um, anyway, <laughs> they consumed and when, like, it was like they had it morning and night, they had screens morning and night. And it was just like survival. It was so totally just getting those two months survival, right? And the moment we came back to Toronto, I said to my husband, I was like, we need to like go cold turkey here. We need to cut these. We just need to be firm on it and consistent and the kids will adapt. So it went from being like, okay, in the morning now, and they get their little bit of screen time if they want it with their apple juice. And then after school, we're not doing screens and we're not doing apple juice. It sounds so funny, but those are like big deals in my household. <laughs> exactly. And you know what? It was like the kids adjusted, like as long as you are consistent they will catch on and you might just know it might be a tough week, but you know, engage and you, and during that time too, give them something else to do exciting. Like uh, don't just take it away and say fun for yourself. Like you might need to step in and, and do more interactivity or try to play to help them transition, but don't be afraid as parents to just say, okay, we're going for it. It's like potty training, right? Like this is the week we're going for it. It's going to be a rough week, but we're going to get through it or sleep training, any of these things. I think the same kind of needs to be done now with screens. If parents are feeling that and having the desire to curb some of these things, um, I, I, it can be done. And I think that, you know, that's one reason we, with OK Play, there's a lot of things that we, you know, have designed for literally getting off the screen. Like we have this, we have an app. Do you want to talk about screen-free TV, Travis? I mean, that was. Yeah, um, screen-free TV is one of our sparks that um, Humri, one of our characters, um, is coming up with a TV station and he needs these make-believe shows and so what he does is give the child prompts to pretend play 
um, these make-believe shows. So one of them's like a robot dance show. One of them's a cooking show. One of them's a superhero show. Um, and it, it's sort of flipping it on its head because we're saying we're making a TV show, but we're not watching TV and we're doing it in the real life. Uh, and so it's, it's, it's a little, uh, it's, it's a little silly, but um, it's, it's but one, of, one of my is, kids' favorites. Yeah. And, and I love this idea of what it's teaching the parent and kid, because the idea is, you know, if your kid is really loving the show, or whatever, like watch it with them and find out what they're loving, learn the characters' names, get in on it. Right. And then once the episode's over, you know, I mean, take Paw Patrol for an example, like then, you know, the, the dog's names, you know, and then go play Paw Patrol, you know, mm -hmm. pretend to be the dogs and go on a mission and whatnot. Like if you can bridge that, it's that, it's that bridging time of kind of like weaning off of it. Cause you said like kids can get sucked in and it's like, they get into like a trance sometimes they're really sucked into a show. Right. Like, so understand that to just take it away can be really, you know, alarming for them. So I think these techniques of how parents can kind of get in and say, let's play Paw Patrol now. Let's go outside and like chase around. And you, you know, there's different techniques you can do. And then that's really exciting for them. Yeah. One, of, one of the things I look for um, from a design standpoint and, and what um, the good screen time looks like, and particularly like what good interactivity looks like um, is, does the, you, you just have to watch your child. Like that's, that's the way you can tell. Are they laughing? Are they looking away from the screen? Are they thinking? Are they moving? Um, and, and there are, there are shows that do this. There are shows where my child might watch and just be stare 30 minutes stare. Yeah, and the there zombie. are shows. Yeah. They're zombie. And then, and then there are shows where he's jumping on the couch and, and, and running around and dancing and, and that's the difference. And it's a really hard thing to do as a creative, but it's so important. And so like that, in my mind, one of the things that you can do as a parent to kind of look at what that good screen time looks like is not look at the screen, look at the kid's face, look at, look at where they're looking, look at, are they, are they asking questions? Are they singing? Are they dancing? Um, and, and that's the things we look for. And we, we do a play test once a week. And, and this is what we look for in kids playing are the moments where their eyes go away from the screen, where they're thinking about the pirate song they're about to sing, where they're thinking about what is the, what's my favorite thing that I wanna show off to all my friends. Um, and they go run around the house and go find it. Those are those the richest moments of what we think healthy screen time looks like. Um, it's that catless into the real world. And, and so, yeah, it's it's just such a powerful tool, but it, it's as Spider Man uh, said, you know, with great power comes great responsibility, responsibility. and and there's that balance between how you can utilize it for good, how how you can utilize it in a healthy way, but also, th um, th there's the counter to that, of course. Yes, and one more science. Yeah, yes. for, oh my gosh, and one more science back tip, Doctor Hot. I'm sure you probably talk about um, is there's been great research on on it is background TV really and parents don't often think about this but turn it off do not have background tv on it'll distract your kids play you know and, and i think we don't count like that you know if you want to limit screen time you want to bring it down like you've got to start taking that into account um the research shows very clearly if the kids are playing they will be distracted by that and they, they will not stay in their deep engaged play that they should be having um, so I, I think, and that leads into what are we setting as role models? What example are we showing? If we're always zombies on our screen, if we are looking at our phone every two minutes, of course, our kids are going to be attracted to these devices because they want to be like us. You know, my daughter asks for her phone, which is really just an old phone that we play music on, but she's decided this is just like her phone now. And, and luckily all she can do is play music on it, but still it's just like, ah, it doesn't feel good, you know? And I think it's also like, follow that gut feeling. If you're like, that's not the example I want to be setting, like think about ways you could do it. What are times that you could just put the phone away? Um, and, and, and part of that is that our work-life balance has gone completely, you know, out the door during COVID, but what are those boundaries you can start setting in your work life and saying that like, from these hours, like I'm not reachable. Like if you really need me, call me, but like put your phone away. Cause I think we've all just become so reliant on like, I need to check this email. I need to check this text, blah, blah, blah. But our kids are learning from us every second. 
so many things there uh background uh background tv even long-term repercussions are so bad like in the long run if you've had background tv for say a few weeks just because it was a tough time for your family or some difficulty had come uh research has shown that uh these preschoolers who were exposed uh they're going to have very very short attention spans and they're going to be more cranky and more irritable because that's what they've been used to constant distraction and they in fact have shown uh difficulties in studies to focus and concentrate on a particular task so definitely background TV has to be switched off because you might think that, okay, I just need to cook or I just need to do laundry. So I'll switch it on for say half an hour or say one hour. But the damage that it's doing to your child, it's definitely not interactive, nor is it engaging. Your child is not even looking there. It's just for your own satisfaction that, okay, I have done something to keep my child quiet. It's really bad. And uh, so the other thing, uh, you guys have already answered it, by the way, it was yet another fear of a mom who doesn't give screens to her child. And that was these kind of games, apps, TVs, videos, that uh, anything that comes out of a screen can be really addictive because the kids definitely, they like most of it. Anything that comes out of a screen seems so nice to a kid and it's always difficult to snatch it off their hands. But then the fact that the app takes it, you know, away and back into the real life, it, Give, giving the cues that go do this go do that that i guess is going to cut off and help the child switch off the screen himself and go and do some real play and thus not making it addictive yeah yeah you know this has also made me think of something i remember one time hearing a mom tell me that she who didn't give her kids screens for all the reasons you're going to say there but she said she felt guilty because she said i i see my friend's kids who all know their ABCs so much earlier or these things that they've learned maybe from these apps or whatnot that just like and I'm like oh my goodness do not worry about that like rote memorizing your ABCs at the age of two is not necessary whatsoever you are your child is so much better off you know just playing you know and and doing apps once in a while is, is like it's a totally fine obviously I, I'm a proponent of that but this idea that this mom felt guilty that her kid would be behind <laughs> knowing that these you know that your kid and I say to parents all the time your kids will catch up there um what what the toddler years are so important for are creativity play and social emotional learning which you know it's why we chose to focus on social emotional learning in our app. We're not teaching ABCs and one, two, threes. And that's for a very, you know, cognizant reason. We're focusing on how to encourage kind kids, creative kids, kids who can express their emotions, identify their emotions, regulate their emotions. Um, because these are the things that we know will predict better academic success later on. So we really wanted to help parents build that foundation because as we looked at the app store, we saw there is a definite deficit there when it came to social emotional learning. All these apps were colors, shapes, ABCs, one, two, threes. There's enough of that. And kids really don't need to focus on that in these early toddler preschool years. Um, so that's why we came up with this curriculum that's social. So encouraging kindness, perspective taking, um, social problem solving. So what happens when you get into a conflict with your friend? How do you problem solve that? Uh, come up with compromises. Uh, emotions, as I said, uh, identifying emotions, expressing your emotions, uh, which is you know, particularly important for our, our little boys to encourage them to really feel comfortable expressing their emotions from an early age, and then how to regulate them, which is every kid's biggest problem, right? And adults, let's be honest, <laughs> how do we regulate those our emotions? And, and then cognitive, we really thought it was important to, to throw in this cognitive um, element because these cognitive areas come into play a lot, but often are not talked enough about when we talk about social emotional learning. Um, so those are things such as thinking flexibly about things, um, being patient, following directions, right? Um, they all come into play for social emotional learning. So I, it's been really a, an absolute uh, professional privilege to be able to embed these elements in the app. That's really nice. Um, also, uh, you know, uh, talking about uh, young children, say preschoolers learning ABCs and, you know, educational stuff through apps and books and all now having uh, parented two toddlers and having gone through the initial stages of education, what I found that as a parent, it definitely is very lucrative and it seems really nice that, wow, I'm using an app to teach my child definitely is going to have some good result out of it than the conventional ways of books in which we were taught. But then what I have done and I found out that 
uh, actual uh, physically teaching them like say if we've just come back from the market and we have a bag full of fruits so uh, teaching them fruits by showing them helping them feel it and see the color of it see the shape of it that helped them learn it way too quickly than through any app or the books because that's what children are about they like to feel they like to know more about every single thing apple where in color the shape of it the branch of it and everything so uh, and that goes for everything fruits vegetables that's what a preschooler uh, curriculum consists of you need to know your abcs your one to tens fruits vegetables vehicles so all of that you don't need any books or apps or anything for that what you need in the initial stages to ignite their creativity you need to help them uh, teach how to regulate now plenty of toddler tantrums you all are parents as well you all will relate to this our children have real difficulty in understanding their emotions naming their feelings and having an outlet uh, to express themselves so uh, having something that will help the parents uh, equip them to teach the child how to properly express themselves like you mentioned about some sparks uh, where the child can have breathing exercises or the child can uh, learn how when he's angry how to moderate that so that's life skills right there uh, i have actually tried to with my kid you know when there's a tantrum we all sit down and we all count from 1 to 10 all of us that's four of us just so mm-hmm. the toddler learns it and follows suit uh, we have to do all of this because that's when the child will learn uh, having to do it through an app and making it in more interactive way i think that definitely should help just one example there is um we we practice a lot in um how we design things emotion expression so being able to like express different emotions like sadness happiness fear anger um and there like there's two ways to design that maybe is one would be to show different characters and to select which one is happy which one is sad and then there's the other way which is show us your happy face show us your sad face show us your angry face and that in one they're selecting tapping on the screen maybe practicing in the other they're literally making their happy face they're literally making their sad face and it's a real practice for um we use this for example we have an experience called museum of emotions where they take photos of different emotions and they're put on display in this beautiful museum that shows that the child walks through and 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 looks at this amazing exhibit um and that's that practice of emotional expression that's very different than like selecting what happy looks like in a workbook or on an app and so that's that that line between what we think is like a good version of expression emotional expression versus maybe not as a productive version of interactive selection of expression uh, you know and to that point of putting the kid in the story you know i talk a lot in my research about uh represent the power of representation and seeing yourself on screen so um you know whether whatever culture race gender um that you can you know see yourself authentically reflected in the content you're watching right uh and so what i love about this app too is that what's more powerful than see- than seeing yourself like actually seeing yourself in the story right that you can't get any more authentic than that and i love that because as i'm fighting for you know diverse representation across the board on tv shows and whatnot here in this app we're like better yet you're in it like you want to see yourself on screen see yourself on screen you're pick, you take a picture of yourself you are there your family members are there you know this puppet show one that's featured in the app right now you know my my kids love it cuz it's like who's going to be the audience now like you know grandma the dog mommy can be this time you know <laughs> like uh so it it's it's really nice to i i know from the science perspective and the research it is so important for kids to see themselves as part of the story and as the hero of their story And so we don't have to rely on finding shows that do that well. Um you can have it actually. You can actually be the hero of your story in okay play. That it's a, it's an interesting writing challenge um because we're um beyond uh um thinking about characters, we we have to think about the leading star being the child and 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 um traditionally you might you might have those 
other characters fill that slot. But here we're writing to support the child, to support their storytelling, to support their creativity and to them for them to see themselves in that that leading role um, is 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 really powerful. And what's funny is you're, it's like every parent helping them out is the director and the voiceover booth because you have to rely on the kid <laughs> correctly record their lines as well. But it's the cutest thing. I came out the other you know, day and, and my two-year-old was doing it on his own. You know, the three, press the record button, three, two, one, he's waiting. He's like, welcome to the party, dragons. Like, and he's, his voice is so cute. I can't try and mimic it. It's so sweet. And here he is. And then he watches, they record three lines and they, you know, the it's so well woven in by Travis and his team and our writer, Craig, that, um, you know, when they're watching it, it's like, he's actually, you know, his face is there. He's got on the voiceover booth, basically. He's, he's, in his story, he is a lead character in the story. It's it's impressive. It's amazing. If you would have noticed, uh, when our toddlers talk, they're always the hero of their story. They'll be the superhero. Mm. Or if we're talking about Paw Patrol, the <laughs> child is going to be Rider, always Rider. So right. that's how it works. So that's very nice that it stems from there. It's going to be such a huge ego boost and confidence boost for the child that I'm the hero. And the puppeteer is the parent, maybe the parent. No, actually, Travis, yeah. why don't you describe the puppet show? I've played it. I've actually binged on it. I absolutely love the concept. Please, for our listeners, Listeners, what is the puppet show and how is it so interactive for children? Yeah, and Travis, maybe even just like a little bit of like that's one of our many stories. Like we've, yeah. we're talking about stories, we haven't talked about stories. <laughs> yeah, stories are a big part of OK Play, and, and what they are, they're they're giving the child the role of creation. So everything that happens backstage, from set design to recording lines to creating the characters, we try to put in the hands of the child. We we sort of have a rule where, like, we we really liter want. 50% or more of the screen to be created by the child when they watch the story. Um, so in Puppet Show, for example, um, they draw all of the dragon puppets. They draw the main puppet hero. Um, they record lines for the puppet hero. Um, they uh, take photos of, of their friends and family to be in the audience and cheering the puppets along. And how this story progresses um, is, um, it's a fire breathing contest, but one of the dragons can't um, breathe fire, but they do have a skill that they've been kind of shy about and, and it resolves with them uh, um, roaring the skill, which is, is basically instead of breathing fire, they breathe music and, and the audience goes nuts. And, and it's, it's a lesson on um, kind of, embracing your differences um, and, 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 and conquering that fear of stage fright. Um, and and what, what's so powerful about it is the, the main puppet that's encouraging the dragon along is the kid's voice. There's a moment where, where, uh, where the dragon's like, I don't know if I can do it. And then kid comes in, literally my son, Elliot, it's like, don't worry, dragon, you can do it. And that's part of the show. Um, and it's, it's, it's so cute and powerful. One of the things that it's, it's almost um, uh, like a little secret weapon of ours is to give the kid um, the tools for creativity and impart themselves makes them so much more interested and engaged with what's happening um, in the experience. Um, you watch some of our playtesting um, and kids pretty much every single time when they see themselves talking to the dragon and consoling them and then the dragon spitting out music notes, um, they laugh. And that's because they're, it's, they're hearing themselves, they're seeing themselves, they're seeing their art um, and they're, they're relating to it more so than they might relate to a Paw Patrol episode. Um, and so that, that laughter, again, that, that thing coming out of the screen in whatever form, and in this case, laughter, is, is what we're looking for. Um, I'll also add, um, there's a really magical moment that can happen when you give kids tools for creativity and imagination with the parent. And what that is, is I call it kind of the refrigerator moment where the kid wants to go to the parent and show what they've created. Um, and so if you have creativity in your experiences 
and and even off device Legos, for example, you get this um, moment where the kid wants to come and talk to the parent about what they've created. And that um, anytime your child does that, like take advantage of that as a parent and don't just go, yeah, looks cool. Okay, back to work ask questions. Why did you make that decision? What color? Why did you pick that color? Why did you say that to the dragon? There's so many like juicy questions that the parent can ask when a child comes to you with something they've created, either a story they've created in OK Play, a Lego sculpture, a drawing. Um, but that some of the richest times I've had as my parent, uh, I've had is with my kids and being a parent is having those conversations about what something Elliot or Miles has created and why they created it. And so we just, we just aim to like encourage that to happen uh, more often. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, that's a, uh, that's a uh, puppet show dragon story. <laughs> and I'll just add quickly. What's really cool is there's this element at the beginning and end where one of our main characters twiggle is nervous about the audience liking the show. Um, their show and, and Twiggle's actually a, a purpose that we don't give um, Twiggle he or her pron pronouns Twiggle is, is there because I think it's also really important for kids to see characters who you know go by uh, them their uh, pronouns and don't need to define themselves there so that's that's important but uh, Twiggle's nervous about people's reactions and and th that was directly inspired by our play testing. So as Travis mentioned, weekly we do play testing. If anyone's ever interested in play testing, please get in touch because we are always looking for uh, new faces to join us there because we were very inspired by play testing. So what happened is that so at the end we would ask when kids finish their story, we'd say like, do you want to share this with people? And oftentimes they're like, yes, but there'd be some kids who would say they were nervous about what people would say about their creation. Right. And, and that sometimes they're saying too, that because of COVID, they haven't really gotten outside feedback from people or been sharing things in the same way they used to. So they notice their kids kind of like go and come in their shell a bit more there. Um, and so we were inspired by that. We wanted to address that head on. So you see Twiggle's nervous at people's reaction at the end. Everyone loves the reaction and Twiggle calls it out. Oh, oh they loved our show, you know? So I think uh, that was just a really special moment as well. And kids responded really nicely to that. That's that's really nice. Uh, so uh, before we end, uh, Travis or Dr. Colleen, uh, final word on what is OK Play uh, in a few lines and where can listeners find it? Travis, take it away. Yeah, OK Play, um, it's an app where kids create and star in the story. Um, and uh, they can find it in the App Store, um, iOS, Android, and also on tablet devices for both of those platforms um, and know that it's um, built um, alongside an amazing um, research team um, spearheaded by Dr. Colleen Russo Johnson um, and that that um, is is really built into all of our experiences and all of the content um, that we create um, and so go check it out um, and ho hopefully you love it. And we're also on Amazon very soon as well. So yeah, coming very soon. Oh, that's great. Thank you so much, uh, Dr. Russo and Travis for this amazing, uh, insightful session, which is so full of personal anecdotes, some positive psychology from Travis there. <laughs> and really nice advices, Dr. Colleen. Thanks so Thank much for having you. us. And guys, you all can find them on Instagram and Facebook. I will be linking up their social handles in the show notes. Until then, happy parenting. <laughs>